0: Subscribe to Inclusion Revolution Radio, wherever you can get your podcasts. You're the one everyone looks to for answers. Come rain or shine, the job must get done, and you're the one who makes it happen. We get you, Jackie in Fresno, putting your employee safety first, and Manny in Chattanooga, whose local Granger team knows him by name. We're here for you and all the ones who get it done, with 24 7 customer support and access to product specialists to help you find what you need. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Matt Lombardo Show,
1: part of the Stacking the Box podcast. Please welcome your host, Matt Lombardo. What's going on, everybody? And welcome into the Matt Lombardo Show, part of fan-sided Stacking the Box podcast network. Now, you might have already guessed... I'm not Matt Lombardo. Nope, that's not me. Unfortunately, Matt is out of town for the next two weeks, spending a little bit of quality time with the family. We all know how it is right before the start of the NFL season. But have no fear for the next two weeks, you got me. Well, who am I actually? For those of you finally wondering, uh, I am Cole Thompson. Uh, you know that Matt says at the very end of every episode. Special thanks to Cole Thompson. That's me right here. I do a lot of the work behind the scenes, helping out with guests, getting the questions up, getting subject matters out. And for the next two weeks, I'm going to be in front of the microphone and getting you prepared to finish out this long and dreaded July with the 2020 offseason coming to an end and the start, the official start of the 2021 season. If you want to follow me on social media, by all means, go do it. I'm at Mr. Cole Thompson. I also write for Fansided in the NFL department. I also work on some other places, but I'm also adding to my list of laundry things that I do this week, hosting this podcast, one of my favorite to do. Now, while I'm talking about that, just a few housekeeping things to pick up before we go any further. Make sure that if you like what you hear on this podcast from myself or from Matt, make sure you are leaving us a reply on iTunes, Spotify, wherever. Leave us what you like, what you don't like, who you want to hear, who you want to be brought on the show, and we'll be doing all of that to make it happen for you, the listeners. Leave us a like, leave us a reply, and more importantly, make sure you leave us a five-star review. Those reviews really help out with the algorithm. They really boost our numbers, and more than that, They boost my confidence that I'm actually doing a good job. But enough about that, enough about everything else. Today, we're going to be talking about sleeper teams. Matt likes to talk about sleeper teams a little bit more than I do, but I believe that there are two sleeper teams that nobody has mentioned so far who could be in for a breakout year. Special guest, former first round running back Butch Woolfolk will also join the show to talk about the running back position going into the 2021 season. And by now, everyone has seen the list. The list, the infamous list, the CBS head coaching list, and how wrong and disrespectful it was. Well, I'm going to give you my top 10 coaches going into 2021. The correct, the only one, the right answer of who are the top head coaches going into this upcoming season. So, sleeper teams, who are they? What are they? Really, what does the term sleeper team mean? Now, for anyone out there who doesn't really know, I think there's multiple ways to put it. I'm going to give you my actual definition. A team nobody talks about. A team nobody brings up a conversation. A team nobody thinks can do a dang thing right, and yet somehow they surprise everybody. That is a sleeper team. A team that isn't talked about enough as, say, an Indianapolis Colts team. I think they're really good. I've said for a while I believe the Colts are a really good team. When you have a good general manager and you have a good head coach and you have a decent enough quarterback, you're going to be able to get some wins. That that just happens. And I think Carson Wentz going to an offense with a good offensive line. My bad, let's scratch that. A great offensive line. A top-five defense that people continue to sleep on under Matt Eberflus. And, of course, on top of all of that... Perhaps the best GM in the NFL and Chris Ballard and what he's done in the past several seasons. This is how you win games. Now again, if Carson Wentz can turn things around and actually be a stable quarterback, I'm going to tell you guys right now, they're not a sleeper team. They're not even a close to, you know, wild card team. They are winning the AFC South hands down. There's not a question about it. So you don't include a team like that in there. Same thing you could say about the Los Angeles Chargers. Listen, I've been on my own podcast, I've been on my own radio show before, and I've talked about the Chargers more than anyone else. I love everything Tom Telesco did this offseason. Because of what he did was he was smart by building around his young quarterback. Smart GMs understand what it means to have a rookie quarterback on a rookie contract for the next five years you don't pay them a damn thing. And that's exactly what Tom Telesco saw. Justin Herbert, who I've come out and said multiple times, was the most overthought quarterback prospect we have ever seen because if we just saw Tua Tunga-Vailoa and Joe Burrow be really good and Justin Herbert was a pretty good quarterback, well, what's wrong with him? Is, it, or is his footwork off? I mean, like, by a step that could be taught in a minute. Well, what? Is his, is his accuracy a little bit off? Well, I mean, if you just move your arm from slightly back from the, uh, you know, from the 98 degree angle to the 90 degree angle, yeah, you're going to deliver a perfect strike. Very easy things to correct. Ah, now he's quarterback three. Immediately, he's quarterback three. I thought he was quarterback two. I really did. I thought that he was a better prospect than two are coming out. And I thought he was a safer prospect than two are coming out. And that's exactly what happened when he was selected number six by Los Angeles. They were a team that saw the opportunity last year to rebuild this offensive line. They added four new players. They're getting healthier on defense. They added another wide receiver and a really good one, kind of a do-it-all guy in Josh Palmer. They got Trey McKitty. They got Jared Cook to replace the production of Hunter Henry. There's a lot to like there, but they're not a sleeper team because if I know people who say, including myself, they're going to make the playoffs. They're going to make a deep run into the postseason if they get a favorable schedule. And if Justin Herbert continues to develop under new head coach Brandon Staley and under new offense coordinator Joe Lombardi, you could see not just a Pro Bowl type year, not just a Rookie of the Year type year, an MVP type year. That's why he ranks in most people's listings a top 10 or top 11 quarterback. That's not a sleeper team. That's a team that is disrespected. Let's get that out of the way. Sleeper teams are the ones... That when you look at you go, nope, not happening. And then at the end of the year, you go, damn, happened. And let's go ahead and start off with the first one. For me, I'll go to the NFC. Nobody has mentioned this team yet. And I absolutely believe if one player can be good, the entire team can be good. And that is the Carolina Panthers. Seriously, give me a reason why Carolina is not going to be a competitive team in 2021. If one player, you know who it is, is good. Because of everything else we look at with Carolina, you put, say, Deshaun Watson, who currently is still facing 22 civil cases against sexual assault and sexual misconduct with the Houston Texans. You put him under center. What are they, 11 wins, 12 wins? What what do we do if we put... A, even, let's just go a little funnier, like a Jimmy Garoppolo behind them. If you could stay healthy, what are they? 10 wins? Maybe 11 wins? Let's say you put a Aaron Rodgers behind them. 14 wins? 15 wins? Are they that good? But no, because of the quarterback situation with Sam Darnold, we say, nope, nah, nah, not it. Not it, bro. Not it. Well, they are it. They do have every capability of being an it team. Because of when you look at what the new owner in David Tepper did for the last two years, he has built this team up to where he will not accept average play. And it started by firing Ron Rivera. Ron Rivera is an amazing players coach. Anybody around the league, you ask them, who is a players coach? Ron Rivera is usually the first or second name they mention because if he just so well understands and gets these players. And that's why when you look at the Washington football team, who almost made this list in my opinion, but I do think that they already are in that playoff conversation, they were able to transform one of the worst run organizations and one of the worst on-field performances we saw in 2019 into a five-win winning streak down the stretch to get the NFC East title, and for a while go toe-to-toe with the likes of Tampa Bay in the NFC Wild Card round. I mean, we saw them actually do that, because if they had a good coach and a good staff to be the base blocks for it. But you want to know what else you have? You have another good coach already in line in Matt Rule. Matt Rule, if there's one thing we could say about Matt Rule as a person and as a coach, it's culture changer that's exactly what he is and if you don't believe me let's go ahead and back and look at temple oh yeah everyone forgets about him and temple because of they're in aac school well when you look at temple football they were a travesty and i mean an absolute travesty for years in the aac and in the big east because if they weren't able to get anything done matt rule enters the conversation guess what they do they get it done and they get it done quick year before he arrives the owls go four and seven the year he gets there it's a rebuilding year let's not pretend that it wasn't because it was they ended up finishing that year two and ten the next year they went six and six the year after that they finished first in the east and going 10 and four losing in the boca rotombo the year after that in 2016 they go 10 and 3 7-1 in conference play first in the east once again and they win the conference that year. He goes 28-23, and 19-13 and 13 in conference play, takes the team to two bowl games. Okay, what'd that do? It opened up another avenue. It allowed the Baylor job, which was once coached by Art Pryles, then taken over by Jim Grove that year. They had a really decent year when you think about what Jim Grove was doing as an interim coach. They went 7-6. and six but they need a new head coach. A lot of people didn't know if he was going to be the guy. So, first year there, he goes 1 and 11, absolutely a travesty. Then you look the next year, okay, things are improving. They go to the Texas Bowl with a 7 and 6 record. They get the win in the Texas Bowl. You after that, they finish as a top 15 team in the country, 11 and 3, 8 and 1 on the year second in the Big 10, runners up of the Big 12, my bad, and they lose in the Sugar Bowl to Georgia. But it's a close loss at 26-14. Thus, opening the door to the likes of the NFL. Which is where a lot of people thought he was going to work out best. And so far, if he gets the right quarterback, it's a winning roster. You bring in a great offensive coordinator and Joe Brady. And what's fun about Joe Brady is a lot of these guys are new. And they're adapting to playing at the collegiate level to the NFL level. Well, Joe Brady, who... If anyone remembers what he did in 2019, I kind of forget, wasn't a Joe Burrow a guy? Oh yeah, he just turned him into a Heisman Trophy winner, a national champion, and number one overall pick. He's able to do that with a lot of different players, not just at quarterback, but at positions all around. And with a young staff like Carolina is, they're going to want those guys. You also brought over Phil Snow as your defensive coordinator. What was he? A college defensive coordinator Four years. Anyone else remember where he was before he was in? Charlotte? Baylor? You want to know where he was before that? Temple. You know where he was before that? Eastern Michigan. He gets the best out of young players and helps them transition, keeping the college game alive while adding in that NFL element. And that was such a big deal for former GM Marty Herney when the team elected to go all defense in the first draft in the Matt Rule era. They went and got really good players, such as Derek Brown to fill the interior, Jeremy Chin to play kind of that new hybrid defensive role, and they've also added a couple of smaller name players who so productive, like a Troy Pride Jr. While they do this offseason? They went and got another college defender with their first overall pick in J.C. Horn. And J.C. Horn, to me, is a big deal. And that was the biggest surprise so far of the top 10, because if everyone thought... Let's go ahead and build around Sam Darnold. Let's go ahead and get an offensive lineman. But no, when you look at that division in the NFC South with the speed of Traquan Smith, with the size and agility and precise route running of Michael Thomas, with everything Chris Godwin can do, with a seven-time 1,000-yard receiver in Mike Evans, and of course, Calvin Ridley, plus an emerging Russell Gage, you cannot just trust Dante Jackson and A.J. Boye to be serviceable. You need a game changer. And I'm not saying you need that Mamba mentality that everyone's just talking about when you look at JC Horn wearing the number eight in the Queen City, but he does have a vicious bite and will strike as one of the most physical cornerbacks coming out in this year's draft class. I talked to several scouts about J.C. Horn, and a lot of people said as much as they like the up-and-coming precision and able to break on plays in Patrick Surtain, there is something about having a physical presence that J.C. Horn brings to the table, and that's why they liked him as the top cornerback in this class. Naturally, new GM Scott Fritter did the exact same thing, going to elect Horn over the likes of Sertain, who was taken one pick later by the Denver Broncos. And if we're on the subject of Scott Fritter, what an impressive hire that was by David Tepper. Because when I look at Scott Fritter and what he's able to do in his first draft, you walk away feeling very impressed. Like this is a new culture. This is a new team feeling. This is a positive in the right direction. Because everything that that is, is true. Scott Fritter learned under John Schneider, who I'll give him this. John Schneider is a big and swing, and a miss guy when it comes to first round picks, but the gems he's found for the Seattle Seahawks for years in rounds two, in rounds three, in rounds five. Oh, I don't know, let's just name a few off the top of my head, Bobby Wagner, Richard Sherman, Cam Chancellor, you have Russell Wilson, and DK Metcalf, and Tyler Lockett, and Chris Carson. To be able to learn How to play the game and maneuver to get the right picks for the right players at the right price is a big deal. And that's exactly what Fritter did on draft night this past April. He got his first pick. He got it out of the way with J.C. Horn. But then they traded back. And they waited. And they saw their opportunity. They found out that New Orleans was going to take Terrace Marshall Jr. And it's very well documented. They were going to go with either Terrace Marshall Jr. as another vertical option... Or they were going to go with Brady Christensen, the offensive tackle out of BYU. They said, we are not allowing Terrace to be the reason we are losing games. He's going to help us win games. And Terrace Marshall, everyone wants to talk about Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson. The guy is third in touchdowns in the FBS since 2018 because he played in 2020. Guy has 23 total touchdowns in three years. I'm not saying that he was a big factor in a five and five season for LSU, but he was one of the good good players, and he was one of the more consistent players. Now you add him as a weapon instead of as a threat that you have to face against week in and week out. He's going to be able to take reps away from Robbie Anderson. He's going to be able to add an extra element to a possessional type receiver in DJ Moore, and. He's going to be able to stretch the field a little bit more for Sam Darnold to be able to still get those big-time plays, those 20-plus yards downfield. But that wasn't all when you look at what Scott Fritterer did. Fritterer also was able to get Brady Christensen, a plug-and-play left tackle right away, which was a hole for Carolina going into the season with his next pick in the third round. Instead of reaching for a guy who they believed was good enough to be taken in the second round, they patiently wait and get their guy in the third round. They don't panic. They don't give up anything. And because of that, they were able to get more picks in a trade with the Houston Texans to move back just a couple picks, just a little bit longer, and then set themselves up for another good day. Every single pick Fritter made on day three has value in some capacity. They trade back with the Tennessee Titans. They land Chuba Hubbard, a really good replacement for Mike Davis who went to Atlanta, and a nice compliment to Christian McCaffrey. Next pick, they add Davion Nixon out of Iowa. And he only fell because of weight and height problems. If he can work, he can be a really talented run stopper to pair alongside Derrick Brown. And at worst, he's a guy who you play as a depth piece. After that, you get Keith Taylor the uh, cornerback out of Washington. He's a name who has done a good job playing with size and length. After that, Deontay Brown. Keep bolstering that offensive line as much as possible. Pretty big steal for a six-round pick. After that, Shee Smith. A really good slot receiver. Sticky, can move well in space, and probably good on third down. Thomas Fletcher. You needed a long snapper. You can waste a pick on that. And then they were able to go get a couple of players such as a David Moore from Grambling in free agency to add and bolster depth on the offensive line. So it all comes down to one player. It comes down to, my opinion, Mr. Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold now has weapons. He knows one of them in Robbie Anderson. And everyone can say, when looking at the connection, Joe Douglas has come out and said if we would have stuck with Sam, we probably should have signed Robbie. Because he and Robbie connected. So to have that is already a big plus. But now Robbie's the number two when he was the number one in New York. Because of the number two that you have here is DJ Moore. Who can do a little bit of everything. You have a really good run game. In a 1,000 yard rusher and receiver in Christian McCaffrey. Back fully healthy. You got a good rebound guy in Chuba Hubbard. You have an offensive line that's missing holes. But you have the right tackle figured out with Taylor Moten. The interior, I think you can find a way to make it work. And you understand, he's 23 years old. He's 23. We give up on a quarterback so fast because that they lose their confidence. And all I will say is, don't expect Ryan Tannehill 2.0 because as much as Ryan Tannehill is a rags-to-riches story from the Adam Gase debacle that was not South Beach, he also had Arthur Smith that really did a good job. But... If Joe Brady can work the offense in favor of what they're trying to do with Sam and play to Sam's strengths, connecting across the middle of the field, not trying to extend deep balls, trying to get quick passes out, move drives along, trust the run game, they can do all that. Sam Dahl can be a pretty decent quarterback. And that's why there wasn't a risk in taking a quarterback that early. Because of even though you get another quarterback like you see with San Francisco doing with Trey Lance, if Sam's good, that guy sits. When you could have needed a number one corner, you could have needed a number one receiver. Instead, you go get a true number two receiver in Terrace Marshall. You go and get a great number one cornerback to pair alongside an up-and-down Dante Jackson and an up-and-down A.J. Boye. You go ahead and get him, and he's the most physical of them all in J.C. Horn. You he had some key players. That's how you build a team. And when you look at this NFC South, New Orleans has issues too. New Orleans isn't going to be able to pay everybody eventually. They got one more run and they're trusting Jameis Winston can get the job done. Is it famous Jameis from Florida State? Or is it 30 Jameis? You know, the 30 for 30 guy who had a league high in passing yards, but a league high in interceptions during his final season with Tampa Bay. Which one is it? Tampa Bay, yeah, they're probably a good team, but we don't know for sure. We got to see how much regression comes from a Super Bowl hangover. And then you have, in my opinion, the Atlanta Falcons, who are the most average team in the NFL. Atlanta's good. They have some good players, but they just trade away, arguably their best one, to Tennessee to free up as much cap space as possible. That's easily, on a good day, three wins you have a bad game from Jameis Winston, a Super Bowl hangover from the uh, from the uh from the Buccaneers and back-to-back wins over Atlanta. That's four wins. If you get one more win, you're 5 and 1 in conference play. And I 100% believe that. Now out of the AFC, I won't spend as much time because of I am all in on the Panthers actually being a really good team in 2021, Denver. Denver's another team that has all the pieces there, especially defensively. They get a healthy Von Miller back. They get a Bradley Chubb playing at an elite level. They keep Alexander Johnson. And they kept most of their star defensive backs. They upgraded from A.J. Boye with Ronald Darby, who had a breakout year in Washington. They got youthful with Patrick Sertain. They also kept Kareem Jackson on a new deal, released him, then re-signed him to play more of that box zone coverage that Vic Fangio likes to run. You have a guy in Justin Simmons who fits beautifully in that system. And Bryce Callahan was arguably a top 50 player last year in the slot. Offensively, same thing. Built a good offensive line. They went out and they got a few more pieces. Garrett Bowles with Mike Munchak was an absolute pleasure to watch. He was 100% deserving of that contract extension. Melvin Gordon, he continues to be a quality change of pace back. You add him with Javante Williams coming out of UNC. A lot of people I spoke to in Denver believe he's going to be the lead back. See the most carries. Because if he has good strength, good agility, and good vision. You have three incredible wide receivers in Tim Patrick. Nobody talks about him. He is great in the red zone. Jerry Judy, in my opinion, the best route runner in that division. And yes, I said that, in that division. And you have Cortland Sutton, who's back and uses his size. You have a good tight end and Noah Fant. You have a good offensive line. all comes down to Drew Locke. Drew Locke plays good. You can see three wins easily in the division. If he doesn't, yeah, you have a problem. But that's the only reason why I look at this team and I go, that's why you're going to struggle. If Drew Locke, or even Teddy Bridgewater, I'll throw Teddy in there. I don't think so, but I'm just going to say it because I have to. If one of them can pick it up, they are a playoff team. Carolina, if Sam Darnold picks it up, is a playoff team. And I'll be the first to say that. I believe one of them will surprise everyone and actually make the postseason in 2021. Coming up next, former NFL running back Butch Wolfalk joins the show talking all things Chris McCaffrey, Derrick Henry, and who is the surprise running back in 2021. All that and much, much more on the other side of the break right here on the Matt Lombardo Show, part of the Stacking the Box podcast of fansided.com.
0: So, as you graduate and head out into the world, there's only one thing that you need to know. Hi, this is Jamie from Progressive. Yeah, I can talk now. Progressive protects you 24-7. So, tell me what happened. Oh, I'm sorry, Gene. Can you give me one second? Um, brush out for every meal. Congratulations and thank you. Sorry about that. I'm back. So, tell me about this fender bender. Contact us 24-7 on the phone, online, or on the mobile app. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates covered subject to policy terms.
1: Welcome back into the Matt Lombardo Show. Cole Thompson filling in for Matt Lombardo here on Fansided.com's Stack in the Box podcast. And I like talking about running backs. There's always a saying that people are going to towards today, that running backs don't matter. That running backs are a dime a dozen. That running backs are replaceable. And nine times out of ten, I'll give you this. They're replaceable but the position itself is not. And if you don't believe me, maybe you'll believe a former NFL running back, former first-round running back, and a man, myth, and legend from the University of Michigan. Joining us today on the Matt Lombardo Show, that is my friend and former NFL star, Butch Wolfalk. Butch, how are you, man?
0: I'm doing great with that introduction. That sounds pretty darn awesome. Are you talking about me for real? <laughs> I think I'm talking about you.
1: I mean, you okay. did get drafted top 15, and you did make it in the NFL, and you did have a pretty stellar career before a couple of injuries hampered it. But again, when you look at your career and what you did at Michigan and what you've done now, I think I got to ask that question. Do running backs matter?
0: Well, today's game has changed significantly. Believe it or not. uh, You know, everybody looks at the, the 1993 draft when they had all the quarterbacks taken, but they don't realize in 1992, they had seven running backs taken in the first round. That's pretty awesome. So at one time, they were more significantly important than they are today. Uh, back then, you used to give the ball to the running back, and the, and the quarterback was a secondary thought, which oh, is which, you know, throwing the ball on third down. But now they're throwing the ball on first down, and the running back position is a secondary thought. So the game has really changed significantly. If you're talking about running backs, and I'm, I'll repeat myself again later on in the conversation, we're talking about specific running backs. Today, got to be able to block and protect the backside of the quarterback. But also to enter into the passing game, you got to be able to catch the ball. Now, luckily for me, I had a career where I was able to uh, catch the ball. I had 80 catches with the Houston Oilers with All Pro and Hall of Fame quarterback Warren Moon, but I also had 43 carries in the game, uh, which was the NFL record at the time. So I could carry the ball as well as catch the ball. And today, that's the demand of running backs. You have to, in the NFL, you have to be able to catch the ball, run the ball, and block.
1: So again, they do matter and I don't think anybody out there who's really played the game or actually understands the game is doubting that but you kind of brought this up when you look at the offenses back in the 80s and the 90s, they were in a lot of I formation fullbacks were a big deal as blockers and they allowed you to open up running lanes for you to get through the a gap the B gap cut to the outside. Nowadays fullbacks there's about two or three teams that still have them on the roster nine times out of 10 they play about 20% of snaps or less so it is important for you to be a good blocker as it is for you to be a good runner and that's why you do have that conversation where there are running back by committees where you do have a pass catching back where you do have a two down back to kind of drive it into the A B gap. And you do have a blocking back who can come in when you want to run a double formation where one stays in the backfield and is a pass protector. And the other one is running out to do a bubble pattern or do an out route really fast to be able to be in the flats, to be able to get three, four plus
0: yards after the play. Am I, am I going on the right direction with that? Absolutely. You, uh, when you, when you think about statistics, uh, the percentage of times that running backs touch the ball today as, uh, in the past is not that significant. It was, it was like normal to get the ball 20 carries a game, you know, back when I played. But now, if you get 10, 15 touches, they're, they're scattered between uh, carries and catches, and that's pretty significant. Uh, I, I like the fact that when you have a running back out there that, that's able to do it all, that never leaves the field until fourth down, that's the kind of running back I, I have an appreciation for. You ask the question, do running backs matter? The reality is, yes, they matter, but they matter less. I think that's why you
1: start seeing less and less teams taking them in the first round. But there are a couple of first round running backs who are very talented and still making an impact today. And one of them that I kind of talked about in the earlier part of the show was Christian McCaffrey. This is a player who embodies what we talk about in today's running back system. Not only is he a good in-between-the-tackles runner, not only does he have home run speed, but he's one of three players at the running back position all time to have 1,000 rushing yards and 1,000 receiving yards in a single season. And when you look at a player like that, is that going to be the new norm when trying to satisfy GMs and coaches to say, hey, if we're a running back away, we can take one in the first round, but it has to be this kind of guy?
0: Well, it all depends on your, your offense that you're running. Um, when you talk about Christian McCaffrey, he's amazing. And I, I think he and Alvin Kamara are, to me, just tops. But they both lead the team in receiving. You know, you're yeah. running back, but you're leading the team in receiving. And, and I, I led the Oilers in receiving way back when, way before some of your, your audience even knew there was Oilers <laughs> that played football. By the <laughs> way,
1: Oilers are Tennessee Titans now.
0: Yeah, and, 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 I, and I still have the record for the most uh, catches in the season. I caught 80 catches. And that's, those are the numbers that Alvin Kamara is putting up right now, as, as well as uh, you know some of the other guys that are able to catch the ball at the backfield instead of just running it. They can do both. So they're, they're very significant, but it depends on your, your offense.
1: And I think that does make sense. When you look at what Joe Brady's trying to run, it is a little bit more of a college scheme, pass first, run later. But when you get back McCaffrey and his legs, when you watch him run, I mean, he's not a violent runner, but what makes him and a guy like Alva Kamara, another player who bursted onto the NFL in 2017, just amazing between the tackles despite being a little bit smaller framed?
0: Well, they know how to avoid a solid hit. You know, back in the day, you would you would see Earl Campbell and 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 Franco Harris and those guys hitting the ball up in the hole and colliding head on with the linebacker or a defensive lineman. These guys today are not doing that. They'll give you a shoulder and shake it in the last second. And all you can get is, is brushed to the side of them. Now the tackle still happens at the same spot, but yet it's not a head on head collision. And they're not taking that anymore because they're lighter in weight. And they're, they're, they're more durable. They're more less durable than the guys in the past.
1: And, wh- and when you think about that, Do you think that because of they're not getting hit head on anymore, that plays a role into why they get so many carries per season because of the injuries are maybe not as significant, but they're definitely not going head on to where their vital organs
0: getting hit. Exactly. And long-term, and this is something that these guys are not thinking about, but, you know, as a retired player, the 61 years old, I feel the every bump and bruise I ever received, they're going to be healthier long-term after they retire. Uh, if, you, if you look at some, some of the guys that were considered bruiser running backs, like Earl Campbell, they're not doing so well, you know, in their upper age, yeah. and some of those collisions are just not good long term. And these young guys know that. So they're not taking on those head on collisions. And, and I'm, I'm happy for them. And I'm happy for the game to be able to avoid that type of uh, damage that they're doing to their bodies.
1: And what's amazing is like you think of Jim Brown. He may be the perfect example of a player who took the bruising, but also was one of these agile players, but you watch him. And again, his body has not been as strong as somebody who is more elusive, somebody who can move a little bit outside. So I do think that that does play a big factor in it. And that also helps elongate elongate their careers, especially behind a good offensive line. And that's the other thing I want to bring up to you. When you were in Houston, you played with Warren Moon. I mean, I think everybody out there who understands the game of football understands just how underrated and undervalued Warren Moon was during his time. But also, you had another guy, you were playing with Bruce Matthews, who was on the offensive line. How important is an offensive line to a running back success?
0: It's everything. I mean, when you think about offensive linemen, the quarterback gives you the ball at about four yards deep in the backfield. Now, by the time you get the ball, there's either a hole there or there's not, right? And you do nothing to to designate what's going to happen. The linemen do everything. Now, running backs are, are typically, they shine after they get past line of scrimmage. If I can get to the line of scrimmage and get like two or three yards past the line, then I can make a move on the linebacker or defensive back and carry it all the way to the, to a touchdown. But everything initially, the movement that you get for the first five yards all depends hundred percent on the lineman. And now, you, you mentioned Matthews, but you can't forget Munchak.
1: Yeah. I, I always do forget about Mike Munchak being on that
0: team. Yeah, and that's when he's are, so
1: good at training them. That makes a lot yeah, of sense.
0: Yeah. Both of those guys were hall of famers and they were pretty awesome. And they did get us the, you know, the running backs, the, the, the first five yards free. And then we have to do our magic after that.
1: And I do think what's interesting is that a team like the New Orleans Saints, they made sure that they're going to pay Alvin Kamara. They're also going to pay the two bookends. That's why Teron Armstead has a contract. That's why Ryan Ramczyk got a five-year deal worth $90 million, the most for an offensive tackle, because you want to make sure your best weapon is protected. We're here with Butch Wolfolk, former first-round running back out of Michigan, played in the NFL for the Detroit Lions, the New York Giants, and of course the Houston Oilers, as he was just talking about. You also mentioned Franco Harris, and I do want to bring up Franco Harris because this was a guy who was the definition of brute strength runner. Downfield, head, ground, pound, A-gap, going to make the linebacker go backwards, knocking players over. He's more than just the catch guy. And another guy who is more than just a 1,000-yard rusher twice and the leader in the NFL in rushing yards is Derrick Henry. And that is the one player who, when you look at the eighties and the nineties and how running backs used to run is probably the closest to matching that style. Would I be wrong to say that?
0: Well, he's a combo. Okay. If you can, if you can imagine Earl Campbell or Franco Harris with speed, I mean, (laughs) that's, that would be dangerous, but you're you're talking about uh, Derek Henry, who amazingly is faster than a lot of these other smaller running backs. You saw how he broke out for, you know, long touchdown runs a couple of times last year. Once he gets past the linebackers, it's over. I mean, the guy has amazing speed, but he's smart enough to not to not use that power against defensive and linemen and linebackers. Yeah, he'll run over a DB, but you know, he's smart enough to to try to still have the ability and quickness to avoid the linebackers and the defensive linemen.
1: And I think what's really fun is when you watch him go up against secondary players, defensive backs, cornerbacks, nickel defenders, he bulldozes them. It's a clear indication. He just drives right through them and absolutely crushes them. But you did mention that he is agile and he has great speed for his size. And when you look at him being the first running back to, uh, I forget how long it's been, since we've seen a 2000 yard runner, does that just prove his status is probably the most complete running back in the NFL today?
0: I wouldn't say complete. The most okay. complete. I I I would I can't you know negate Christian McCaffrey or Alvin Kamara. They're complete because they catch the ball. And the, as far as the number of touches, uh, I don't know how many carries, uh, you know, you, what's his name, uh, Derrick Henry had, but I guarantee you those touches for the receivers and slash running backs with Alvin Kamara and those guys probably touch it as many times as Derrick Henry does.
1: So if you were to rank it right now, who what would be your order of the three it, going into the 2021 season?
0: Well, I'm kind of old school, but I I, I got to put Derrick Henry first and I'll bring somebody else in for a third down to catch it. But I, I definitely need him. Okay. Next to that, I'd be Christian McCaffrey and then Alvin Kamara. So the, those are my top three. And I don't think anyone would have an argument with that,
1: but there is another running back that I wanted to bring up and he's the rookie out of Alabama, Najee Harris. What really is interesting with Najee is when you look at the offense ran in Tuscaloosa for his first two years, they did not pass the ball to the running back that much. It was a lot of ground and pound, run game kind of style. And then they bring in Steve Sarkisian, who was the offensive coordinator for the Atlanta Falcons. After that, Everything changed. They started passing the ball more out of the backfield. And Najee was a big part of that successful 13-0 run for Alabama in 2020 because of his ability as a pass catcher. When you look at what the Steelers are trying to do with Matt Canada's new offense, with Ben Roethlisberger up there in age, how vital was working with Steve Sarkisian, a guy who's been in the NFL helping his st- uh, draft stock number one, but also all automatically getting accumulated and acclimated to the NFL size and speed.
0: Well, I, I think how that benefits uh, Najee Harris is that Pittsburgh is going to use him. They, they love the fact that he can catch the ball. Uh, they, they, they love him so much they let go of their, their top running back who I think is in Denver now, um, but, but he's, he's going to catch the ball. Running backs sometimes can be seen as a blocker on passing plays. But if your linebacker that you're getting ready to block backs up into the coverage, then, you know, the quarterback can just dump it off to you. So the fact that he can catch the ball is going to help their offense significantly. And the fact that, what's his name? Shartesian? Steve Sarkeesian. Yeah. Yeah. The fact that he gave him that, that uh, training in college It's definitely going to bid well for him in the pros. And this
1: is a guy who is one of these players who did a little bit of everything for Alabama last year and was great between the trenches, but also did a really good job out of the backfield working with Mac Jones. That's why a lot of the reason Mac Jones has the highest completion rating all time in college football. But I do want to also get your opinion on this. You were a running back. You played for years in the NFL, and you saw a bunch of great names. Who was the most underrated running back during your time that nobody ever talked about? Besides you, of course.
0: Well, no, (laughs) I was, I was, I was okay. Um, Billy Sims did very well. He was, he, he played in Detroit before they even had a, you know, a decent line. Billy Sims is pretty amazing. My favorite running back in my era is a guy that um, was ran the ball, blocked and and could definitely catch the ball. And it's somebody that, you know, I know very well, Marcus Allen. Yep. Uh, um, you and I were together when we got a phone call from Marcus. <laughs> and Who else was on the line?
1: Um, it was another USC player. I don't remember who it no, was. No,
0: no, Pittsburgh Steelers. Oh, it was Jerome Bettis. That was it. Jerome Bettis, yeah. Jerome Bettis. Yeah, and, and he called me playing golf one day, and you were shocked that he actually called me with Jerome Bettis. But but Marcus, he did it all. He, he's a guy that you can put in today's game and still have the kind of results that you have with Camara, and, and some of the, the guys that have the dual threat of running back being a runner and a receiver. Yeah. I liked him a lot.
1: Now you could say that about Marcus Allen, but could you also say that maybe about Barry Sanders or Walter Payton, or were they guys who needed the offensive line to be able to open up those lanes more? So just runners, not really pass catchers.
0: I don't think either one of those guys were big receivers. Okay. Uh, they, they, they ran the ball and the team, the team relied on them to pound the ball and pound the ball. Um, they, they were smaller guys, but they got a lot of carries. And they were, they got the same amount of carries that Earl Campbell got. They—they they were beat up a lot, so I don't—I don't—I don't really remember uh, Barry Sanders uh, or Sweetness catching the ball at the backfield a lot.
1: And again, there are still running backs like that. There are still guys who do make an impact on the team. A guy like a Dalvin Cook does not really catch the ball a lot. Does a lot of brown right. and pound through the b gap, a lot of counters, a lot of draw plays. And he's another name that I think is going to be on the rise. A guy like Joe Mixon is another right. one based off the offensive line play. Is really more so a home run threat in the middle of the field, but they don't really see – balls coming out of the backfield they are trusted as runners and I'm not saying it can't work anymore but you kind of did allude to that the more versatile you are as a pass blocker as a pass catcher and as a player overall I think that that makes you probably more significant around the league now I did get two questions for you I asked on Twitter you know about anyone who wanted to know about Butch Wolfolk and here's the first one and you're not gonna like this uh are you ready to see Jim Harbaugh go?
0: Ooh.
1: <laughs> that was the very first question that got asked. Oh I was like, goodness. oh boy,
0: this is going to be fun. Well, um, what is success? How do you measure success? I mean, if you measure success by winning uh, 75% of your games, yeah, that's successful. But uh, at Michigan, our expectations are a little higher than that. I mean, if, you, if, you, if we won all of our games and still lost to Michigan State and Ohio State, that wouldn't be a successful year and we've had that same continuation for the past several years. We have to do something about that. Yeah, he's successful, but yet he can't get past Ohio State and Michigan State. That's a problem. That's a problem for me, and as well as Notre Dame and some of the other teams that have kicked our butts lately.
1: I do think that that is something to bring up. You know, you look at Gus Malzahn and what he was able to do for Auburn and was a pretty good coach, but he couldn't get the big win over Alabama consistently. And that ultimately led to him getting fired. Jim Harbaugh, who is an alum, you know, and does have legacy towards Ann Arbor, gets a little bit of a pass, I think, because of that. But this is a pivotal year. Uh, I got two more for you. Number next one. Let's see what it is. Oh, Yeah. You were at your time a player who made a lot of plays out of the backfield as a receiver. Nowadays you're starting to see quarterbacks being more mobile. Do you think they are going to last longer in the NFL or will they be a dime a dozen player? The quarterbacks? Yeah, the, the quarterbacks. So the, like a Lamar Jackson, a uh, you know, what Michael Vick used to be and what Warren Moon really started back in the early nineties.
0: Yeah. Well, I I think they're gonna have more injuries. Uh, I don't, and it obviously it's going to affect the longevity of their career. But they do it because they have the skill set to do it. You you just can't automatically make Brady a runner. You know, Tom Brady yeah. can't become a runner. So they, they do what they do, and that's 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 the result of it. Um, I don't think they're going to have these 10-15 year careers, but they can really make hay for eight years, nine years, 10 years in the league, and that that's significant. That's their their contribution. So you have, to, you have to do what you are. You have to show up and be the player that you are. You can't be something else.
1: But there is, a, I think, a little bit of a stipend here where you look at a guy like Josh Allen going into year four, and he is a runner, but he does have a great arm. And then you look at a guy like Lamar Jackson going into the same year in MVP. He is a decent thrower, but he's a great runner. I, I think that there is a little bit of a common ground where if you can run early on in your career but pass later, that does give you a 10 to 12, 15 year window, but a guy like Lamar, he probably has to make the most of his time the next four to five years before his legs give out. And then he's a very average star. Would I be saying that that's a little bit incorrect? Or do you think that a guy like Lamar can still last with an arm
0: that he has? Well, how long has the quarterback been in Seattle? Uh, Russell Wilson's been there for, he's going on his ninth season. Ninth season. Yeah. You know, everything that good how do you know everything? Anyway, that's my job, man. That's what I do. <laughs> okay. okay, I get it. I get it. Maybe I should ask you about games. Anyway, that, that's the kind of uh, productivity that, that uh, you're looking for for a running quarterback that doesn't necessarily run all the time, but runs when it's situationally appropriate. And, uh, and I just think that what he's doing in Seattle is what some of these younger guys uh, needs to copy as well. Run when it's time to run but don't be a runner running quarterback. That makes
1: makes sense. Yeah, it it, it, it does. And I think that Russell Wilson is kind of the epitome of what you think of for a quarterback that is not a pocket passer, but also isn't just a straight runner. And that's why he's last in the league. I mean, the guy's gone eight straight years of nearly 40 plus sacks because of bad offensive line play. And he still is finding a way to make it to the postseason. I got one more for you. Who is the most underrated running back in the NFL today?
0: Underrated? Hmm maybe Aaron Jones. Oh, okay. I like that one. Yeah. Yeah. What, he, what do
1: you like about Aaron Jones? Cause, that, cause well, that's one that I think he, a lot of people kind of forget about.
0: Yeah. Well, you got a quarterback that is going to be a hall of famer and all, and, and that's what the team focuses on. They don't really see the work that he's doing to, to make it easier on the quarterback. Um, he's special. Uh, of course, you know, we still need to see what he can do, uh, you know, long-term. But right now, I see him as something that's, that's real special. Even Nick Chubb also, uh, I, I, I like what he's doing there in Cleveland. A lot, a lot of teams um, overlook running backs like that. that are. But then at the end of the day, you're looking at quarterback stats, how many passes he, he, he had, how many uh, receptions the receivers got. But you don't really look at how they got to the third and two, you know, or something like that, because the running back did that. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, he's, he, he's, he's being over, overlooked right now.
1: I, I, I think that I get that, you know, he, he does, he did lead the league in uh, rushing touchdowns back in 2019. Same with Nick Chubb. He finished like second or third in rushing that year just behind Derrick Henry. So I get how those two are, but I like that statement. Kind of how you said quarterbacks get love because of what they do on a third and short or what they do on a third and three, how they get that third and three was it a seven yard run from their runner or was it them doing the work as a passer i don't think enough people pay attention to that and that is also why i do think running backs matter butch wolf has been our guest today butch before i let you go i gotta ask real fast who is your pick to win the super bowl in 2021
0: as of today tampa bay i mean yeah they, they, they did they did not weaken themselves they strengthened themselves how do you do that how do you win a super bowl and get better
1: playoff Lenny coming back to title Bay. I love it. Butch folk joining us. Butch, you got any projects going on that everyone should know about?
0: Uh, no, I'm just uh, handling my business in retirement and enjoying life and loving life. I'm going up to Michigan for a golf tournament this Monday uh, of all the old, old timers are going to be there. So I'm excited about that to see some of the guys I haven't seen in years, but I'm, that's about it. I'm just a golfing old fart.
1: Well, I can't wait to watch you learn a trick or two by these old farts and then also have a chance to play in a very special game. I'm not going to say it right now. I'm going to let you do it later, but just take some pointers when you go ahead and play the go. That's all I will say. Butch Wolf has been our guest today. When we come back on the Matt Lombardo Show, top 10 quarterbacks, uh, my bad, top 10 head coaches in and the NFL today. CBS Sports came out with their list, and it's completely wrong. I'll give you the right list on the other side of the
0: Progressive presents today's to-do list for your cat. Take a nap. Meow till I get food. Get food. Walk away from food. Move to couch. See human. Give cold shoulder. Take a nap. Meow till I get food. Your pet has a very busy schedule, so it's up to you to make sure they're protected. That's why Progressive Car Insurance covers your pets for up to $1,000 if they're ever in a car accident with you. Move to couch. Aggressively clean myself. Take a nap. Meow till I get food. Get coverage for your pets with anti-auto policy from Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates. Coverage for cats and dogs included with the purchase of collision coverage and subject to policy terms.
1: We're back here on the Matt Lombardo show final segment of the day. And I kind of preface this at the beginning of the show, the list, the list of the list for anyone who doesn't know what I'm talking about. It is the CBS sports rankings of the list ranking every coach in the NFL for the 2021 season. I'm not going to do that because if no one really cares about who comes in at 17, no one really cares about who's the 23rd best head coach. You care about the top 10 and I'll leave the raw author's name out, but Number one, kind of no surprise, it's Andy Reid. Number two, Bill Belichick. Number three, John Harbaugh. Number four, Sean Payton. Number five, Sean McDermott. Number six, Sean McBay. Number seven, Pete Carroll. Number eight, Bruce Arians. Number nine, Matt LaFleur. And number 10, Mike Tomlin. Of the top five, I don't really have a problem with it. Now, mine's a little different, and I'll just tell you right now I'm about to do that. But... I don't have a problem with the top five. There's a reason they are the top five coaches. I do have a problem with the next five. And I do think the next five have a little bit of controversy, especially 7, 8, and 9. So real fast, before we go any further, I'm going to give you my honorable mentions. First honorable mention is Matt LaFleur. LaFleur is 26-6 as the head coach for the Green Bay Packers. There's no denying that he's been successful. But last I checked... He didn't throw 40 plus touchdowns last year. He didn't lead his team to a 13 and three record. He didn't have to worry about that. Instead, the guy who's not reporting to camp right now, Aaron Rodgers, did all that, carried his team, and now is frustrated at the organization. Why? Because of when you do what he did, that makes you pretty much have every valid argument from here until the end of time. Now, if he can win with Jordan Love and have the exact same amount of success, yeah, top 10 coach. Without doubt, top 10 coach. Another one, Pete Carroll. I like Pete Carroll. But Pete Carroll no longer is a top 10 coach. I look at Pete Carroll, and I view him as a coach who is on the cusp of staying relevant, but every single season, it slowly looked worse for Seattle. Seattle has not been able to pick up the same amount of wins. They have not been able to get over the hump. And even though they're favorited every year, they somehow stumble midseason, And then they find it back, usually because of Russell Wilson and quarterback play. Usually. So I can't put him top 10 anymore. Let's move on to the actual top 10. Number 10, Kyle Shanahan of the San Francisco 49ers. Yep, there's going to be some people who say, how could you say that? Well, guess what? He's not higher than 10. He's the only coach on the record right now. Who doesn't have a 500 or better record going into the season at 29 and 35. Now, here's the deal. You look at it every single year, it felt like he was going to get better. Six and 10, they add in Jimmy Garoppolo. Garoppolo gets hurt. They really struggle. They go four and 12. Garoppolo comes back healthy. They get the defense right. Then he goes six and 10 again. So it just feels very lost. Now, as an offensive coordinator, and what he brings to the offense with the rushing attack, with getting the best out of his quarterbacks, is true. That 13-3 and finish, though, is the only thing that's actually, in my opinion, not making him a hot seat head coach. So you add in Trey Lance, a guy that he handpicked with this team, and maybe things will turn around. And I'm not saying that he isn't a good coach, because everyone knows he's a great coach. But let's just stop with this whole, oh, He's an architect and amazing and is able to transform the sport completely. Stop it. No, he's not. He hasn't done enough. But with the right quarterback on his roster, maybe he can. Number nine, Frank Reich. Frank Reich, even with average quarterback playing, has done a better job in Indianapolis than most. They've gone to the playoffs twice. They were able to fix the offensive line and because of his coaching hires, they had one of the best run offenses last year under Nick Sirianni as the OC. They were able to get a rejuvenation at quarterback with a 38-year-old Phillip Rivers and then a top-five defense almost everywhere across the board. That's smart head coaching. That's smart GMing. But they also played to its strengths. They had... Two really solid running backs who were hot towards the end of the season. They played them a lot. Jonathan Taylor and Naheem Hines. They were able to get a lot of their receivers, and they took some risk on some veterans who made immediate impacts like Xavier Rhodes in the secondary. If Carson Wentz can return to what he did when Reich was the OC in 2017 in Philadelphia, there's no telling me that Indianapolis is, one, not the favorite to win the AFC South, And on top of all that, not a Super Bowl contender. Number eight, I've gone back and forth with this one. I'll leave it for now, but I will say Bruce Arians. Only reason, he's 76-41 and as a head coach. He's 5-2 and in the playoffs. In his eighth season as a head coach, he's been to the postseason more often than not. And what he's been able to do with quarterbacks, especially aging quarterbacks, has been tremendous. Without him, who knows if Ben Roethlisberger would be where he is today. Without him, who knows if Carson Palmer would have been able to be a still quality quarterback despite coming off of a very serious injury in in Oakland, now Las Vegas. There's a lot to say about that. But again, this is a really good team. They're not replacing much this year, and you added in the best quarterback of all time. It kind of helps. But still, record says one thing, so I got to keep Bruce Arians in the list. Number seven, Mike Tomlin. Mike Tomlin, a couple years ago, was a consensus top three coach everyone knew that and I'll give you one reason why he deserves to be in that same conversation zero is the number that's how many losing seasons he's had since being named the head coach in uh, 2007 I want to see yeah I I think it was 2007 yeah because he's been there for 15 years 145, 78 and 1, a 65% win rate. He's 8 and 8 in the postseason, 1-1 one one in Super Bowl games. Guy's been great. Guy's been constant. But the biggest thing of all, he's never had a losing season. I can tell you right now that if any coach was fired and Mike Tollin wanted out of Pittsburgh, they all you have to do is just call up. Hey, I want to coach for you. Done. Done deal. Absolutely, Mike Tomlin is getting a head coaching job. There's maybe five teams in the NFL right now who would say, "Mm, we're good. We're going to pass on you as our head coach. Because not only has he had at some point one of the best offenses in the NFL, he's also had at some point one of the most dangerous defenses in the NFL. And being able to have a combative, complete roster like he does year in and year out, to me shows yeah i am a top 10 head coach and i definitely am not number 10 on that list number six is sean mcveigh here's the reason why mcveigh is the whiz kid but the whiz has started to wear off it's great that he was one of these wonder guys who played the analytics who his favor is able to strut off you know a play from 1978 in this formation where this coach said this afterwards that's great Half the time when I'm talking, I just remember stuff and I can just rattle it out left and right. That doesn't mean I'm always a great coach. He does have a 67% winning rating, 43-21 and in his five years with the Rams. He's 3-3 and in the postseason, and he won with Jared Goff. Everyone doesn't want to bring this up, but Jared Goff won 41 games as the Rams' starting quarterback. That's not nothing. That's not even close to something stupid. That is actually something very positive when you break it down. Everything Sean McVay has done in Los Angeles has worked, but now he's getting his quarterback. He's getting the guy that he wants, and that is Matthew Stafford. Stafford is a guy who I could see break out, be a top-level quarterback, and in my opinion, has a really good chance to be the dark horse to win the MVP. But I'm not going to sit here and say that if he does it, oh well, Sean McVay, you know the lust is, you know, still all there. No, it's not. It's going to wear off at some point. And to me, this is the year you get your quarterback. You wasted two number one defenses on Jared Goff because you believed he was the guy, and now you have to pay the consequences. So to me, yeah, it is Super Bowl or bust for for Sean McVay. But he still is a top ten coach, and of the three. The LaFleurs, the Shanahans, and the McVays, he is number one. Number five, Sean Payton. Sean Payton, 16 years with the Saints, we know he's a winner. 143 and 81, 9 and 8 in playoff appearances. Can't get past the big game. It's been evident in recent years. And Drew Brees has done so much for New Orleans. At what point are we looking at this as a Tom Brady, Bill Belichick 2.0? What point are we doing that? Because I think we're there. I really think we're there right now. I think when you look at how these teams are, this is the year where you see, was it Drew Brees or was it Sean Payton? Now, if Payton gets the best out of Jameis Winston, yeah, absolutely. Payton played an influential role, and nobody is saying he can't coach. I don't think anybody is saying that. But we're going to have to see if Jameis Winston and Pete Carmichael, and that offense that was always posting quality numbers and taking the team to the postseason with a erratic defense for years is still going to be up to that same level. If so, Peyton wins the battle. But so far, Belichick lost the battle, and if he doesn't do anything this year or in the next few with his new quarterback and Mac Jones, he will lose the war to Tom Brady. Number three, number four, my bad, number four is Sean McDermott. Sean McDermott is the most undervalued coach in the NFL. And he has been the most undervalued coach in the NFL since arriving at Orchard Park back in 2017. Four years with the organization. Guy's been in the playoffs three times. Three. 38 and 26 as a as a head coach. Yeah, 38 and 26 as a head coach. Last year he was finally able to get some playoff wins, which is good. But he also was able to make the right hires. That is why he comes in ahead of Sean Payton. Because if he's not afraid to let go of people who are well-respected in the league, people who understand the game extremely well, and instead go get guys who work best for your team. That defense transformed it around instantly. That defense was the reason why they made the postseason and broke that drought in 2017. That was the reason. That defense did it all for them. Then they go get Josh Allen, and he's not afraid to make harsh decisions to build around his franchise quarterback. You go get Ken Dorsey, who he worked with in Carolina. You go get Brian Dable, a highly respected coach who's just coming off of a national title win at Alabama. And what happened? Josh Allen transformed. Josh Allen, in my opinion, was the MVP of the AFC last year. And now you build around that roster. This is a great roster who I believe has every ability to compete with the Kansas Cities and Clevelands of the world, and can honestly see an MVP-like season once again from Josh Allen if he continues to build that rapport with Stephon Diggs. So he comes in to me at number four. Number three, easy enough. I'm not really going to spend much time on these three because they're not going to change. It's John Harbaugh. 14 years, he has a 62% winning completion uh, rating. He's over 500 in playoff games. He's won and known Super Bowl games. He's been able to get the best out of his quarterback. And most of all, he's been able to adapt his offense to what the quarterbacks like to run. When you look at how that offense was ran, when... Uh, I'm, I'm blanking on who was the OC. Uh, um, oh, that's right. Uh, Jim Codwell. When Jim Codwell was the OC in Baltimore, it worked to Flacco's advantages. And they built that offense to work with Flacco. What did they do when Lamar Jackson became the new quarterback? They let Marty Morningwig retire, and they went and made Greg Roman, a guy who has worked with Tyrod Taylor and Colin Kaepernick, both mobile guys, the OC. What's happened? They made the postseason both years. Lamar Jackson has become an MVP. That is how you coach. He is a player's coach. Everyone likes him. Yes, he has returned to the AFC title game since 2012, but his team has always remained a constant. And being constant in that playoff push gives you a backbone. Number two is Bill Belichick. Not going to waste much time. He was number one until he uh, saw Tom Brady take down the NFC and he struggled in his first year, but let's not deny it. He has a 67% winning percentage. He's 31 and 12 in playoff games. He's 6 and 3 in Super Bowls. He's been there for 22 years. He still is one of the greatest coaches, if not the greatest coach of all time. In his 31 playoff wins, it's absurd. It's absolutely absurd. His six titles have only been beaten by two guys George Hallis and Curly Lambeau. That's it. And number one is Andy Reid. Andy Reid right now is easily the number one coach in the NFL. He's been doing it for 23 years. He has a 62% winning rating. He's 17 and 15 in playoffs. He recently got his first Super Bowl win, and he's been able to build around probably the greatest quarterback right now in the NFL in Patrick Mahomes. They haven't missed a beat. They've lost talent, and they've upgraded. They've done a good job losing a GM in John Dorsey and finding another great one in Brett Veach. And with the roster at hand, He has always been able to build each and every season. Andy Reid right now is the top coach in the NFL. And it was well before that. Because he spent 14 years really building up Philadelphia. He went to five NFC title games and made a Super Bowl. But we don't talk about it that way because he never won a Super Bowl in Philadelphia. But if you look pound for pound, and how much also... The coaching trees have worked. That is the reason he is the number one head coach. Because if his coaching tree still has a ton of talent coaching in the NFL today, while Bill Belichick's, it struggles. Let's be real. It really does struggle outside of Foxborough. Everybody that does it for me, I'm out on this week's episode. Thank you so much for joining us on the Matt Lombardo Show. If you like what you heard, make sure you leave us a reply. Make sure you leave a five-star review on Apple's, iTunes, Spotify, every single outlet that you could think of where this podcast is found. Make sure you tune in on Tuesday when Matt Verderam and Mark Carmen come back on Stack in the Box, and I will be back on Friday to break down more information coming out of NFL camps just before the start of the 2021 training camp. See you next Friday. Make sure you're following me on social media at Mr. Cole Thompson, and we'll be back on the Matt Lombardo Show, part of the Fan-sided Stack in the Box Podcast Network.
0: Underdog Fantasy is the fastest growing fantasy app and easiest place to play fantasy sports. Just jump on underdogfantasy.com or download the app, draft your team, and that's it. And if drafts aren't your thing, they also have a pick'em game where you can win 20 times your money in a single night. Use promo code RADIO and Underdog will double your first deposit when you sign up with up to $100 in bonus cash. Deposit $100? Get $100 free. That's promo code RADIO. Terms and conditions apply. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done.